Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. If going through life there has ever been a time where you just throw up your hands and say, that's it, I'm done. <laughs> and some of you are like, how many times per day? Uh, uh, <laughs> has there ever been a time where you just say, I, I've had enough? It, maybe as a parent to dealing with children, uh, maybe as teachers dealing with students, I'm sure that never comes up. Um, as far as, uh, you know, coworkers, as far as family members, any type of relationship, any type of interaction, has there ever been a time where you're just, I'm done? And as I was thinking about those moments in my life, it's interesting because there's a couple of different possible results that can come from that, right? Th- that that reaction isn't in and of itself wrong. Let's, let's be clear. It's okay to, to recognize that you have reached your limit. But the reaction that comes after that is where sometimes I maybe don't necessarily take the right step. So sometimes when we throw up our hands in the air and say, that's it, I'm done, we, we allow the frustration of that moment to then push us into doing something that maybe we shouldn't be doing. The, the reaction that is maybe more yelling than anything else, maybe um, we're destructive, whatever the case may be, maybe that, that reaction takes place. That's where we, we kind of get that idea of maybe sometimes it's best not to make critical decisions in the heat of the moment, um, because sometimes we just aren't really thinking too clearly. But sometimes when we reach our limit, we are, are spurred to take action that corrects the behavior. We're, we recognize, okay, this is something that is an unacceptable, and now there's a consequence because we have, have come to that point. And what we see today in the book of Daniel, is we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 5 this morning, is that God gets to a point where he says, this is enough. This behavior is enough, and now there is a consequence that is going to come as a result of this behavior. And so as we turn to Daniel chapter 5, we're going to see what happens when God has had enough. Kind of probably not a a spot where we want to get to in our our relationship with God. (laughs) And so as we've gone through this study in the book of Daniel, we've seen time after time after time that God is in control. God is in control over who rules where and for how long. God reigns supreme over all of the nations of men and raises up rulers and lays them low. The sentence, the the first sentence of chapter 5 mentions King Belshazzar. And Immediately, we ask the question, well, wait a minute, who's, who's King Belshazzar? <laughs> we, we've been talking about King Nebuchadnezzar this, this whole time, and all of a sudden, we've got another king that has just shown up into the mix here. So this is important for us to think about. Daniel, 
Daniel isn't giving us a blow-by-blow account of Babylonian history. That's not the purpose of this, this account here. The purpose is to show how God is moving in the midst of the Babylonian empire. And so he's not necessarily sharing every single event that has taken place in, in Babylon. And so what we see is that 20 years have taken place between Daniel chapter 4 and Daniel chapter 5. So 20 years have taken place, and, and King Belshazzar, this is kind of interesting according to uh, some of the reading that I was doing, uh, King Belshazzar is either the son of Nebuchadnezzar or possibly the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. The, the way the translations work, the way the words work, son could be descendant. And so it's interesting to think about, not super important to the study that we're going to talk about, because the, um, because at least in the NIV translation, they use the word son. That's what I'm going to go with. But it's just interesting to consider. So Daniel had that whole interaction with King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4. And it's safe to say that as King Nebuchadnezzar has gone through this process of, of having the dream that he had, exalting himself above all of the, the creation, everything that he had built, everything that he had created in his mind, and then to be brought low. And for that seven years to be without his mind, to be out in the wilderness, to be eating grass, to have the dew fall on him, to have his, his hair grow long and his fingernails grow long and, and have him just be a general wreck. We know that Belshazzar saw that. He saw firsthand what, what happened to his father. He's seen the, the height of his glory what he thought was the height of his glory. He's seen the, the, how far he could fall, and then he's seen the repentance that came afterwards. And yet what we'll see as we look through chapter 5 is that Belshazzar chose not to learn from any of it. Starting at verse 1, we're going to read through verse 9. When, when King Belshazzar makes this choice to do what we're going to see him do. There's this message that gets delivered to him, and we're going to see what that is. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. And so they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines drank from them. And as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver and of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. And the king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking together. 
The king summoned the enchanters and the astrologers and the diviners. And then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple, have a golden chain placed around his neck, and and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all of the king's wise men came in, but they couldn't read the writing or, or tell the king what it meant. And so King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew even more pale, and his nobles were baffled. The, the party that the, the king is throwing isn't some nice, let's get together and have a knitting circle kind of party. we can probably pretty safely assume that there was a lot more than just drinking wine that was happening in that party. It's safe to assume that this was a night of, probably many nights, of complete debauchery that was taking place here. And at some point in the midst of this drunken, depraved time together, the king says, let's let's kick this up a notch. Remember all that stuff that we got out of the the temple of the Israelites? Those goblets, those cups, the gold and silver. Let's get those in here and let's let's drink out of those. And so they did. They, They brought it all in and in the midst of them doing everything that you can imagine that they would have been doing, they were were doing those things because they were worshiping all of the gods of stone and silver and everything else. And there were were gods that the way you worshiped them was through sexual intercourse and everything else. And so in the midst of of all of that, these articles of worship that have been consecrated and set apart and dedicated to the worship of the one true God has been brought into their midst. And what was intended and dedicated to be holy is now being used in something that is completely disgusting. And do you know what's happening while they're having this party? This is really interesting. In the midst of this party of a thousand people, a complete rager, in the midst of all of this, the Persian army is literally on the other side of their walls about to come in. Like, not just like, hey, they're, they're far, a few miles away. They're like actively coming over the walls and to invade the city. Party! And yet, Belshazzar is so prideful that instead of strategizing for battle, instead of like, maybe we should do something about those guys, um, they can't do anything. They can't hurt us. So instead, he throws this drunken orgy. And this is the moment where God throws his hands up and says, this is enough. If a hand starts writing on the wall after your like third or fourth night of a drunken rage, what's the first thing that, that you think? I think the first thing that they probably thought was, we need to probably stop drinking wine now. Um, <laughs> and, and as they, but they kind of start talking to each other and like, are you seeing that too? And then everybody's like, yeah, that's, that's definitely happening. At that point, everybody's like, oh my goodness. That's not, that's not something you see every day. 
And at that point, the king freaks out. <laughs> he, the, the Bible says he, he lost control of, of his limbs, that his, his knees started shaking together, that, that he went pale. And one of the translations, when it says he lost control, it, it kind of would indicate that he wet himself. Um, <laughs> and so he has just totally lost complete control of his faculties as he sees what's happening. And the interesting thing is he's lost all of this control and he's so frightened and he can't even understand what the word says yet. I mean, granted, it would be kind of terrifying if a hand just started showing up writing. It's like, but part of it would be just kind of curiosity, like, well, I wonder what that means. But for him, it was just sheer terror. And the king is nothing if not predictable. What is his first response? Let's bring out the A-team. Let's bring out the astrologers and the diviners and, and all of the wise men that are always able to tell me what I need to know, right? No, <laughs> we have seen time after time after time that they do not know what they're supposed to do. And then out comes the queen mother. This is interesting. Starting at verse 10, the queen, hearing the voice of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, who is found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods, your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, and astrologers, and diviners. And he did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and a knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel and he will tell you what the writing means. I'm going to keep going in just a second, but it's interesting. She, she calls out, your dad named him Belteshazzar, but you should probably call him Daniel if you want him to actually do what you want to do. This is the first time we see them acknowledge that name. And so Daniel was brought before the king. And let's be clear here. Daniel is about 70 to 80 years old at this point. Grandpa walks into the middle of the orgy, and you can see him just like, what are you doing? You know, like, didn't we, I thought we covered this already. And the king said to him, are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father, the king, brought from Judah? I mean, does that feel like a, a racial slur? It kind of does. Or, I'm going to immediately remind you of the fact that you are a slave to me. One of the exiles my father brought here from Judah. I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they couldn't explain it. And now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you will be made the third highest ruler in my kingdom. And Daniel answered the king, you can keep your gifts for yourself. <laughs> 
and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read what the writing for the king says, and I will tell him what it means. <laughs> this is my reward, is what Daniel's saying. I can't wait to tell you what it says on that wall. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor because of the high position he gave him. All of the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was given away from people excuse me, he was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and he ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Instead, you set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Uh Uh-oh. I mean, first of all, Daniel wasn't at the party. They had to to bring Daniel in, but he immediately knows what was happening. He immediately knows you took the the goblets, the silver and the gold from the temple that were dedicated to the Lord in the temple and you used them in this specific way. So he's immediately calling out. But he's saying, Didn't you see what your dad went through? Didn't you you watch as, as he spent seven years as a crazy madman out in the wilderness? Didn't you see it? Don't you remember? What have you done? History is is repeating itself with a, a king who sees himself as the greatest of all time. Therefore, he sent a hand that wrote this inscription. This is Daniel speaking. This is the inscription that was written, meeny, meeny, tekel, parson. And here is what these words mean. Do you want to know why nobody could read them? It was because it was all in Aramaic. (laughs) Daniel's the only guy who knows how to read that there. Maybe probably the other exiles too. But he was the only wise man in the room who was like, yeah, I know exactly what that says. God has numbered the days of your reign and he's brought it to an end. That's what, what meanie means. Tekel, if, if you, you have been weighed on the scales and you have been found wanting and, and Paris, your, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third most powerful man in the kingdom. And Daniel says, thanks. <laughs> I don't think he did. But the, the direct translation of those words is counted, counted, weighed, and divided. 
when God is ready to humble you, you will be humbled. Before we get too much on our our high horse in looking at the king, we have all been counted. We have all been weighed and we have all been found wanting. This is not just a message for the king of Babylon. This is not just a message for, for anyone else. The only reason that we are able to stand before God is nothing, again, that we have done. It's the grace of Jesus. So let's unpack this. What does this mean? One of the things that we see here that's very, very cool is that even unbelievers can recognize the Spirit of God in a believer. There was something about Daniel that stuck out 20 years later that the queen mother says, I know a guy. I I saw the life of this man. I think he's the one that needs to help us today. I want others to see that difference in me. I want there to be 20 years past and somebody says, "I, I know a guy, I know Matt. not because of of the things that I have done, but because of the spirit of Jesus living in me. And what's interesting is while we we can so easily stop and, and marvel at the life of Daniel, I mean, these are some amazing things that we have seen so far. And, and we're gonna see some more amazing stuff happen next week. But what's important to recognize is in the midst of all of the miraculous events that we see talked about in this book, we also need to notice that there are a lot of boring ones too. Well, why do we need to care about that? <laughs> why, why do we need to care about that? We, we mentioned this a, f- a few weeks ago that it is important to recall that Daniel lived 80 years at this point He lived 80 years in the Babylonian Empire. And do you know how many events were recorded in this book that he lived through? Five. Five miraculous events where God showed up in a a mighty way. He wouldn't eat the food and, and God moved and intervened in that situation. He had the, the interpretation of that first dream for King Nebuchadnezzar, and then he had the interpretation of the other dream. He has the interpretation of this particular event, and then we're gonna have the lines then next week, five specific events where God showed up in a mighty way to shape the path forward of a nation. What happened the rest of the time? Tuesdays. That's what happened the rest of the time. He showed up and he was faithful in the things that God called him to do. In the things that didn't involve him standing before the king and getting accolades and getting honor. He showed up and did the paperwork that nobody else wanted to do. (laughs) He showed up and, and worked in the different positions that he was placed in. It's important to be faithful in the midst of the boring 
It's important to be faithful in the midst of the routine. If you stop and look at your life today, lots of us aren't even 80 yet. Can you find five points in your life where God showed up in a miraculous way? Just stop and think for just a moment. Can you find in your life five points where God showed up and moved? There was a, a story that I want to tell you where uh, it was my, I was getting ready to go into high school in my, my freshman year, and some of you may have heard this story before. I just like any other kid getting ready for high school, kind of nervous, kind of excited, kind of all of those different emotions leading up to going to high school. Um, I was going to play soccer on the, the, the JV soccer team, and so you have to get a sports physical. And so you go to the doctor, and they do all the stuff. Part of that was a vision test. And when I was getting my vision tested, I tested pretty low. So yeah, we're going to need to get you to the optometrist. You're going to need glasses. And it's like, oh man, another thing to deal with, right? And so I, we moved on from that. It wasn't anything that we had really pursued. My, my first day of school comes. It's an exciting time. I go into the office for whatever reason. I, I met a, a woman that I, I knew from, she used to work at the grocery store. She worked at the high school. And she said, you know, I asked her where my first class was. She kind of helped direct me. She said, oh, I'm going over there. Just hop in my car and we'll, we'll go together. And so I get in her car, and before I have a chance to put on my seatbelt, we're heading out into traffic, and her car is immediately rear-ended, and my head shatters the windshield of her car. And being the nervous, excited, first day of school uh, person that I am, I immediately got out of her car and went to my class. <laughs> As I'm sitting there in my Algebra 1 class, the getting used to and, and figuring out the, the first things that we need to, to learn in that class, the, the phone rings and the teacher says, hey, Matt, were you just in a car accident? Um, yeah. Did your head shatter a windshield? Yeah. <laughs> you need to go to the office. <laughs> oh, okay. So they, they send me to the office. I think my mom and dad got called and... I'm sure that was slightly scary for them. I don't know. <laughs> for me, it was just like, oh, man, like just what you need in your first day of school, right? And so um, they take me to the doctor again, and, and they go through all of this process. And I didn't have a bump. I didn't have a cut. The only change that had taken place, they, they tested my vision again, was that my vision was now 2020. God shows up. I have glasses now. <laughs> and that's okay. But in that season, God used that to show me that he was there. That was the takeaway. The takeaway really had nothing to do with glasses. Had I gotten glasses, that wouldn't have been the end of the world. That would have been just fine. But really what that was, was that Matt, in the midst of all of those new things, in the midst of a new friend group, in the midst of choosing to step away from friends that maybe aren't uh, a good influence on you, in the midst of all of that, I'm right there. 
God shows up. It's okay for us to look at the life of Daniel and to aspire to that level of integrity, to uh, aspire to that level of faithfulness. But we have to recognize that in the midst of the miraculous, there are days where we are just called to live the life that God has put in front of us. And we are called to be just as faithful in that time. We're called to be just as ready to serve in the moments where we aren't called upon. Daniel's title that he received that night lasted all of one evening. And yet he didn't care. The last verse, verse 30, says, That very night, Belshazzar, king of Babylon, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over his kingdom at the age of 62. Daniel says, thanks for that purple jacket. I, I needed that. If we don't learn the lessons from our, our ancestors before us, if we don't learn the, the lessons from history, I mean, this is, this is common knowledge. We, we say this over and over and over again. If we don't learn those lessons, we will repeat them. What we see here is Daniel isn't afraid to show up and speak truth to rulers of nations. What is the worst that you can do to me? (laughs) You saw everything that happened to your father. You saw all of those events take place and yet you learned nothing. And so the question for all of us this morning is, what have we learned? What have we learned? This is history. This this chapter in the word of God is there for a reason. And it's not there for us to say, oh, that's really cool. There was a floating hand. I don't think that's the take-home message here. The take-home message is a little bit more introspective than that. What made God so mad? Was it all the partying? I'm sure that didn't please him but the the hand didn't show up when they were having their drunken rage. The hand didn't show up when they were worshiping the other gods. The hand showed up when something that was specifically dedicated and consecrated to the worship of the Most High God was used instead for sin. That's what made God mad. That's what made God show up and say, okay, it's time to intervene. And so it might be easy for us to say, okay, sure, so we need to make sure we don't use the chairs in the sanctuary for sin. We need to make sure we don't use the piano in a way that that is sinful. We need to make sure we don't use this building that we're in today in, in a way that is sinful towards God, right? I don't think that's the take home message today either, guys. 
Let's get, let's get a little more real here. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that pretty much every single person here today has really been on their best behavior. Probably. I, I'd say that's probably pretty safe to say. That, that we, we've been on our best behavior, and, and most of the time the reason we've been on our best behavior is why? Because we're at church. Well, Matt, is, or aren't we supposed to have that kind of, well, yeah, okay, so just go with me for a minute here. Is there something about the property line of 1649 Wood Street in Fortuna, California that says this is the place where it's good for us to be on our best behavior? I don't think it says that in the Bible. The fact of the matter is this building, while being a great place for us to come together and worship God, is just that is it's a building. Jesus Christ died on a cross and shed his blood, not for this building. He died for this building. The vessel that has been consecrated to worship is not this building. The building that has been consecrated, the vessel that has been consecrated for the worship of God is me, is you. He died on a cross to redeem me. Me without the blood of Jesus has been counted and found, found as wanting. And so as we, we come into this, this closing moment of, of what are we supposed to get out of this? Are there things that are happening in your life that, that maybe you wouldn't be doing on a Sunday morning here at church? Are there things that you're looking at at screens that you wouldn't look at on a Sunday morning at church? Are there conversations that you're having that, that maybe you wouldn't have if, if I was standing next to you or somebody else from church was standing next to you? Or are there times where you have interactions with other people in your workplace that, that maybe if there was someone from church watching it, you would maybe make a different choice? If that's the case, why are it, that shouldn't matter because God's with you the entire time and he sees it all. And I'm talking to me too here. Let's, let's be real. I'm no different. Me without the blood of Jesus is nothing. So we're called to, to look at the life that is led. We're called to look at this example and say, how does, what, what do I need to change in my life? What needs to be, be shifted so that God is, is the priority? This is a cautionary tale where we, we stop and we, we say, okay, God, I recognize that this is a, a vessel that has been dedicated to your glory. God, forgive me if I have, have used it in a way that is contrary to that purpose. God, help us to be aware. Heavenly Father, as we, we come this morning, as we come to a close, 
Lord, I ask that you would make it abundantly clear the areas in our life that need to be shifted, that need to be shaped, molded, and redirected back to you. Lord, we, we receive from this historical account And God, we, we recognize that time can be short. This king received a message and the next day he was dead. God, we recognize that our time on this earth is not guaranteed. Our time on this earth is not promised. And so we, we choose to dedicate what we have to you. Use it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 